Hello and welcome, folks, to another edition of RSF Radio. I am your host, Joe Monday, and I have a very special guest, a very uh, a prominent guest in the community. You have probably seen him on a number of streams. He know he's on. He does all the games, all the games. Uh, he, as far as I know, I, I think you kind of commentated almost every of, of the most popular games. Uh, and I have certainly, you, I, you are someone in the community who I have looked up to, learned a lot from. Uh, in terms of presentation of tech and just in general a a long-standing member of the community i have ultra david on the show today how you doing hey thanks for having me idea has been it's been one of those one of those guests who i've wanted to have on the show for a long time but didn't necessarily have uh, a reason to do to do so but i think uh today uh, the stars have aligned in a way that i think it makes perfect sense because not only uh well, the main reason I want to have you on the show is that I had a, a, a listener uh, email in and ask, well, what about legal stuff? And we'll get to that question in a minute. Uh, but also, I mean, I thought, of course, of course, Alter David, the, the FGC lawyer. Uh, but also, you have an article on Top Tier that has just come out. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like those those two things kind of mixed together, and I think it's a it's, it's a good time to pitch whatever you got going on. But before we get into any of that, before we talk about the legal stuff, what do you have going on? Because every time I have a guest on the show, I have to ask, I have to let you have your time to pitch whatever you have going on, because people don't listen to the very end of the show. They're only going to listen to the beginning. So if you have anything that you want to shill right now, please do so. Well, my legal website is dpgatlaw.com. I specialize in contracts and various transactional law, uh, mostly with respect to like video games and entertainment and pro gaming um, or esports, as they say, and you know various other stuff too, IP. and also, you can watch me on twitch.tv slash TV and also youtube.com slash TV, which James and I have actually been doing stuff on this year. And I hope that that's been cool. But yeah, we've actually been using that. Yeah, you've been like pretty regular with it this year. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been something that's been around for a long time, but it seems oh, yeah. like the both of you are like, wait a minute, is this the year? And it kind of just has been pretty steady, pretty steady on the content. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it was it's on both of us for sure um, that we it was not you know commonly done, but um, yeah, so I mean, hard I, man. It it's a fucking nightmare. I understand it. I mean, you know, it's not it's not so onerous. It, we we should have been doing it the whole time, but you know, things get in the way, or one of us isn't feeling well, or whatever it is. So, yeah, for for now, we're we're definitely trying to make it happen. All right, no, that's cool. Uh, what's your schedule like for for Ultra Chin? Well, on the Tuesday, and sorry, on the Twitch stream, we stream almost every Tuesday evening uh, Pacific time. That hasn't been the case over the last couple of weeks just due to other circumstances, but almost always that's uh, when we do it. I think we've hit something like 45 or 46 weekends out of the year or weeks out of the year, each of the past, you know, half dozen years. So we're, we're pretty consistent. And I stream on it myself in the morning specific time. So I typically do that two or three times a week. Cool. And then on YouTube, you know, we try to upload, we'll like, we'll upload the Tuesday show on Wednesdays typically now. 
Right. And we try to upload at least one or two other things during the rest of the week. Yeah. No, it's a, it's been a good stream of hashtag content, uh, for quite a, quite a while now. Thanks, man. Uh, definitely worth a follow, uh, if you haven't already, but anyway, let's get down to business. Before we get into business, I should say a little legal disclaimer here. Uh, don't take legal advice from a podcast. Don't do it. I think legally I have to say that. And also that's just generally don't do it. So whatever we talk about here uh, in audio format, this is not a signed contract. This is not, no one is your lawyer. Right. Uh, you can't, this will not hold up in court. Uh, I'm fairly certain. Has there been any podcast law of like, has anyone brought up podcasts in a in a court case? I wonder. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that that's happened in some court case, but if you mean like, has a legal podcast ever been you know sued because somebody thought that they were giving out legal advice? I don't know that that's happened for podcasts, but I mean, maybe. But the the law is definitely settled on that, uh, and it's you know there have been there were lawsuits about that with respect to radio shows, mm-hmm. you know, a century ago. Yeah, so, the yeah. FCC has <laughs> has that pretty pretty tightly tightly locked there are the laws around radio and the things that you like can and cannot do are kind of buck wild yeah Uh, and even on top of that um each state has its own set of rules with respect to lawyers and mm -hmm. they typically prohibit lots of things it's a very very tightly regulated profession all right but we're not here to talk about podcast law uh i'm not in any legal trouble trouble that i know of uh but a listener wrote in, uh, and I'm going to read this question uh, verbatim. I think it's a good question. Something that I think <laughs> it's one of those things where I read this question and I was like, yeah, like there's been this shit's been going on for like the last decade, if not longer than that, of, of bad shit happening within the community. Uh, and it's high time that someone set the record straight and let the people know what's good and what's bad out there. But let me read the question. Now, this is Ryan who wrote in and asks, what are some major red flags that a player should know when searching for an esports team? That's the bare question. And I think that there's a lot to branch off of from that uh, because I've seen a lot of, of, you know, the David, you know, the brand of esports organization that pops up out of nowhere. You've never heard of them and they present you a contract. I do. I do know that. What's that contract look like? (laughs) It looks much better now than it ever did before. There's definitely been a substantial improvement. For sure, for sure. Substantial improvement. (laughs) I mean, you know, when I first began doing this in 2011, there was, it was not, there was no esports law. I mean, I I think that I was, I was probably the first or one of just a couple people who were doing any kind of a practice in esports at all. None of us even called it that at the time. Um, so, I mean, the, the contracts involved were, if they existed at all, they were a couple of pages and there were misspellings and there was the, missing a lot of important stuff. It's not like that anymore. Um, mm. it's, that's not true. Actually, the worst contract I've ever seen, I saw last year. So oh, okay. it's not, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it still exists, I guess, but it's so much less. It's so much better than it ever was. Right. Uh, it, but yeah, I mean, it, still, if a, if an organization pops up, you never heard of, and they offer you a contract. I mean, right away, that is a red flag. That that that's something that you need to know. I mean, what I'm going to mostly answer with here is just common sense. Um, mm-hmm. It's not 
certainly there's a lot of stuff in the law that requires specific knowledge, but in in terms of finding a you know set of red flags, I really think that that's mostly stuff people can figure out. But so David, if, there's so much legalese. How do I even parse this? When it comes to the contract itself, that that is true. I mean, for sure. And and you should absolutely have a lawyer review it. But so so if you're if you're not understanding the actual text, definitely have a lawyer review it. I mean, have one review it anyway. But the red flags are things that are going to be common sense. Have you ever heard of these people before? No. Well, that's weird. Um, do you know anybody who has, if they have existed, has been with them and has had problems? Well, okay, that's mm -hmm. maybe think about that twice. Uh, have you heard about them ever not paying? Have you uh, looked through the contract and does the contract say that they get a huge percentage of your winnings? I mean, it's it, it's most of the things I think really are pretty clear. Uh, and rare nowadays that, that you come across things that are that are obviously bad, right. but you know it, it definitely still does exist. It's just that much of it is going to be stuff that you know should should definitely already create red flags in your mind. Yeah, I think that that is pretty that's pretty sensible. Like I've had people even ask me of. And I'm not I'm not like an esports organization guy. I don't I don't know many of these pop ups, but and I don't necessarily know the legalese myself. I really only know it through having to interact with it uh, mm -hmm. on the on the rare occasion that I do. But mm -hmm. seeing people have asked me, and it's like, well, I've never heard of these people, so let's Google who owns this yeah. company. Like, where yeah. where did they even come? How many followers they got on Twitter.com? Uh, sure. Like, how long have they been on Twitter.com? Uh, totally. How long? I mean, like, no, these, these are these are things that I've looked up for sure. I mean, that yeah. that is all. That's all very commonsensical stuff. If they have no followers at all, that's not to say that they can't be legit. But right. they have a lot. They've probably been around. They've probably been doing stuff. You know, they're probably not brand new. Yeah, because that. Uh, I mean, that's that brings up a good point. Of gosh, now I'm gonna forget the name of it. Uh, what was the name of that? esports organization they have ties to is it cinema cinemark theaters oh I, i'm not sure oh fuck i hold on i'm gonna search them real quick it's like super it's like super esports super league gaming <laughs> okay so they got they signed like a, a like a pretty like interesting i i forget the exact deal it was it was a couple like months ago but <laughs> they partner with cinemark theaters and they're like we're gonna have like a whole league and like street fighter and capcom is gonna be part of that and but they've only got like 600 followers on twitter and it's not it would if you were to look at it you'd be like this is this is whack but like <laughs> The owner is the like the former head of, I think it was former PR for BP, which wow. is like okay. There's some that's, that's pretty wild. What the fuck's going on here? Anyway, yeah. I mean, so it's not to say that if Borg had doesn't have, you know, many followers that they're not going to be legit. I, I in that case, I I don't know either way. But that's that's something to at least look into. So so a lot of the the initial things you should be doing if you're approached by a team or if you get a contract however it comes from a mm -hmm. team it's just like basic 
check them out. You know, uh, if if they are brand new, then you do have to do, I think, the things that you were talking about where, you, you know, you Google them, who's involved, are they credible people, uh, you know, ask around in, in among other players or other people in the industry or maybe find a lawyer or agent or something who knows a little bit more. Um, if, if they have been around, then check them out by asking other players whether they've had a good time or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in my, in my experience, that's been the best way to, you know, figure out which organizations are hucksters or not is by just asking the people who have been involved and not, not always players. Uh, I've found, you know, basically people who were previously with them in whatever capacity to be useful. So like a manager, uh, or somebody who did graphics work for them or somebody who did videography for them, whatever it is that those people can kind of clue you into whether the organization is legit or, or whether they have problems, you know, among other things, paying or, living up to obligations like sending you around to tournaments, whatever it may be, helping you in social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if the players have had an experience or other people in the org have had an experience where they haven't been, uh, where the org has not been you know, up to all of its obligations, then that's really important to know. And you definitely want to find that out before you sign a contract with them. Um, if instead they have glowing things to say, then that's great. You know, so, so I, I really think those are those are the two like initial things to do. Um, definitely get the contract looked at by an attorney after that. Um, you know, preferably somebody who works in esports or entertainment or somebody who who reviews contracts. There's a lot of different kinds of lawyers. So I'm not the kind of lawyer who goes to court. I've never been in a criminal case, nothing like that. I basically sit in my office and look at paperwork and write contracts or read contracts. Mm-hmm. It's a very different kind of lawyer. Um, and and I specifically do that for entertainment and video games and pro gaming and intellectual property and that kind of stuff. So my expertise is different than if I were a real estate lawyer or right. if I were involved in you know uh, mergers and acquisitions or some big businesses. The There's a lot of, of different expertises. You, yeah. So 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 find find the kind of lawyer who will know something about contracts, especially with respect to entertainment. And then you know you can kind of get a better idea of, of the, the smaller things that you should be looking for when it comes to an esports contract. Um, so one, one thing that jumps out to me oftentimes is the intellectual property agreement. Um, this is something that's very common in esports player agreements. You know, very commonly organizations will want to get your rights um, with respect to, you know, your face, your likeness, your gamer tag, whatever that kind of stuff so that they can use you in advertising, which makes sense. Right. But make sure that when they do that, that you're not giving them your rights forever. Um, oftentimes the language will be something like perpetually, uh, or in perpetuity. Um, that's not great because that means that then they can continue to use your face even after you leave the team. And that sucks, um, just out of principle. But then in terms of the actual value to you as a player, your value to another team in the future is going to be less because they, that is to say the original organization can still use you in advertising and marketing in a way that may cause other people to think that you're still with that team, even though you've moved on. And so the new team that you have may have to do things like bargain for the exclusive rights from the original team, or they may have to just put up with the fact that the original team is still putting up ads of you 
And that way you're not going to be quite as valuable to them. They have to go through some hoops or they're just going to be kind of screwed. Uh, so, so really make sure that that IP agreement is not, you know, not forever, that it doesn't apply always, that it doesn't apply in, in sort of in perpetuity after the contract is over. It's going to hurt your value as a player at that point. It definitely would. It definitely does. And, and it's not just theoretical. I mean, I, I've, I know cases of players who in, I think it's League of Legends, yeah, um, signed mm-hmm. an agreement very early in League. I think it was season two or three, I mean, early times for that. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was much smaller, of course. So the players were you know, not getting paid anything like they can be now. And this player signed away their rights entirely um, to mm-hmm. their to their likeness, to their you know, the gamer tag, whatever it is. And that has meant that in all the years since, they have been less valuable to other teams because what the teams have ended up doing is just bargaining with the original team to get the exclusive rights. Damn. But that sucks because that takes time and money. Yeah. And that is going to mean that they, you know, they must really want you as a player to get that. Right. And they're not going to give you as much because they had to spend some of it doing other stuff. Yeah. Uh, that, so that's that's just, that just makes perfect something sense. Something to keep your eye on. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, another thing you really want to look at is just, and this is a general contract rule, is know exactly what the obligations are. What do you have to do um, in the contract? Are you there to just compete in your video game? Or do you have to tweet? Do you have to post on Facebook about the team or you know, you're going to a tournament? Yeah. Do you have to make video content? Do you have to stream? Some contracts I see now, in fact, this is quite common, yeah. uh, re- require that players stream X amount of hours per week. And for some players, that's fine. I mean, in fact, it can be nice, right? It sort of forces you to create your own stream. Some teams help you out with with the publicizing your stream. That's cool. But for some players who have full-time jobs, that may not be practical. Mm-hmm. It may be something that you uh, don't want. So, so know exactly what is required of you. Do you have to go to uh, other events to you know help publicize them? Do you have to go to convention with them for example and like be the you know dude at the booth um know know all that stuff and same thing for the team what does the team have to do yeah is the team just going to be you know uh paying for you to go to an event do they have to pay for you to go to an event at all do they have to um pay for you to go to specific events or is that kind of nebulous you want as much yeah. specificity as you possibly can get because the more specificity that is going to be uh, that that's there, the the sort of better your relationship is going to be with the team. I mean, really, what a contract is is a description of the business relationship, and it can go badly. I mean, the fact that you have a contract doesn't mean it's all going to work out. But it, if if it's more precise, if it's more specific, then you can better uh, know what their relationship should be, what they should be doing for you, and what you should be doing for them in a way that would cause less argument, less friction, right? right. Um, being upfront is, is just going to be in, Knowing what's in the contract gives you leverage when you have that conversation of saying, well, it says here that you are obligated to send me to X amount of, this is what you are liable for in the situation. Uh, exactly right. So like sometimes I've had players who, you know, come to me, they're upset that the team has not been sending them around to as many events as they had hoped. But looking at the contract, what it says in reality is that the team can send them to tournaments, may send them to tournaments, right? 
but isn't obligated to. And and even if it is, even if, they, if there's some language that's like, yeah, the team has to send you to tournaments. Well, which ones? Does it have to send you to your local? Is that it? Or do they have to t you know spend 2,000 bucks to send you to a tournament in Europe or in Australia or whatever? I mean, it has to be... It has to be specific yeah, if the so that you can make sure yeah. that you don't have any kind of quibbles about what the meaning is. Yeah. When the, la when the language is vague, it can be exploited in that way. Uh, or another thing about, you mentioned like content creation or like vi making videos is who owns that after that? Mm -hmm, do, mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. do you own it? Do they own it? I, I, I feel like some of that matters. Uh, it definitely matters. Yeah. And, and, that's, and it's two different questions as well. Who owns the video that's created is different than who owns the channel. So do you own your own Twitch stream? Mm. Or do you just yeah. own you know, the, the footage that you put out on it, but that, they can take your channel cool. away at any time? Or that is it is the weird. opposite, right? Yeah, well, it's yeah, weird I mean, how you can sign cool. away in a contract of like, oh, this channel that I've been creating is now like, <laughs> it just been I mean, like arguably Shanghai almost. Like, like uh, maybe you can't based on Twitch TOS uh, uh, terms of service, but maybe you can. And why bother getting that, you know, controversy involved at all? Right. Yeah. Why, so, why bother uh, with that? No. Yeah. Just, just, just be specific. So if the contract seems like it's being weaselly, this is going to be something that of course is easier for a lawyer to figure out, but you know, you can definitely read it through. And if it seems like it's not being specific, then that is a red flag. You, it, it, it may not mean that the team has bad intentions. Um, it may just mean that they, you know, didn't think that they needed to be as specific in a certain situation. Mm -hmm. Maybe they certainly have the intention to send you around wherever you want. But that's it's going to be better if that's in the contract because that will make it clear to absolutely everybody that there's no bones about it. That they definitely have to. So you know, doesn't mean that the team's bad if they don't have that stuff, but. Where, where I do become concerned is if you bring it up saying, I'd like more specificity, and they say, we don't think we need that. I, I begin to get a little worried when that when that happens, and that has happened. Right, the pushback from the, from the owners. Uh, I just want to say something that has helped me as a, well, folks, folks who have listened to this show know, they know this for a fact, but I'm a dummy, I'm a dullard, I'm, I'm an idiot. But me, as an idiot, have learned a little bit of a way around a contract and I found what helps me and something that I've found to be important in contracts uh, that I have read is reading the definitions. Uh, it, they're usually in the, at the end of the document, but like, or, or, any, or are they in the beginning? I yeah, they're, they're typically in the beginning. That's, that's the beginning. Okay. And then things like can be defined later on anyway. Yeah point is that like when the language of the contract reads like a player or like mentions something that you're like that sounds vague it might have been defined earlier in the contract so it's like right that's like a way to that's like one way around reading legal documents that i'm like oh okay i get this now um yeah you definitely have to have to pay attention to to what things mean i mean for sure and that, that's not to be pithy about it but yeah you you have to um, you have to know a lot of that stuff. And that, that's, that's why law, like lawyer is a profession. Like mm -hmm. a, a lot of the words that are in contracts are, have specific legal meaning, right. even if they seem like they can just be used colloquially, you know, if there's some regular word, but right. in the, in the specific context of a contract and in a specific location, it can mean its own thing. 
So a lot of a lot of my training is in like just figuring that stuff out. It's yeah. not rocket science. It's just that you you know you have to spend some time to figure out what those words mean. Yeah, I mean uh, earlier on you brought up perpetuity. I think that that's a that's one that is stand out because it's like, well, who uses that normally? Well, it right. has a very specific meaning uh, in in legal documents. Uh, just that kind of stuff that that is stand out. But anyway, that's that's my Dullard's advice to looking at a contract. Uh, totally. Yeah. Means, you, you, Definitely got to know. Definitely got to know. Uh, uh, so I, I would say that the another very important thing to look at in the contract is all to do with payment, and it's not it's not good enough to know what dollar amount you're supposed to get paid. If if there is going to be a salary or if there's going to be a, you know a stipend or whatever, that's got to be in there, of course. But on top of that, what are the conditions that have to be there for them to give you the money? Um, do you have to send them an invoice? Do that? Do, are they just going to send it to you? Uh, do you have to send them receipts if there's going to be a tournament stipend or something like that is to say, are they going to pay for your meals right. at a tournament? Are they going to pay for your hotel? Are they going to pay for your flight or bus or whatever it is? Or are they going to require you to pay for those things in advance and then you get reimbursed, which sucks because um, that means you have debt on yourself in the meantime. Right, right. Yeah. So you, you don't want to carry like, that. Willing to hold on, yeah. however much. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one thing to know. And then even on top of that, how are they paying? Is it going to be via check, or do they prefer PayPal? If it's PayPal, you got to make sure that it's not going to be the kind that um, means that you lose money, which I think is business transactions. Yeah. Like PayPal takes a cut for that. That shouldn't be happening, right? You shouldn't. Right. You shouldn't have to give up some cut for that. Or they, is it check and do you have a checking account and or is it cash or whatever? I mean, they, these are things that you have to look into. What's the payment schedule? So sometimes uh, if you have a reimbursement, for example, that may, happen, that may have to be done, the reimbursement, within a couple of weeks. But sometimes they have two months to reimburse you. Sometimes they have three months, uh, which is that's rare. But that I've seen that 90 days. Uh, these are all good things to know because, again, you just have to be super specific with all of the obligations in here. You, If you put in something for a reimbursement and you're expecting to get paid within a few days, if they have 90 days to do it, they're not going to do it instantly. Right. Uh, and you just have to, you have to know that. You have to expect, you have to have the expectation that that's what is, is going to be there. If they don't have all these details, and they are kind of hesitant about being specific, then to me, that's a concern. Right. Because it's not your, they're not your friend that owes you money. It is a company that is legally obligated to pay you money at a pre agreed upon time frame. Right. Mm -hmm. it, that, like that is what it is. Even though the person that you're talking to might seem like your friend because they're, they might seem like a, a member of the community, right? They might yeah. be someone from the community and they could like talk in a way that is very friendly, but at the same time, they don't exactly owe you right now because right. of the document. Uh, something else that I think is important, uh, looking into what companies has this esports organization partnered with and what are you or are you not allowed to, I guess, like what products do you have to use? 
Mm-hmm. But uh, I feel like that one is is something that has has caught people up uh, in the past. Of like, sure. man, I'm like locked into using this stick, and like, I kind of, I kind of want to try a hitbox right now, or I kind of want to try this other stick, but That's right. I'm kind of stuck with this one. Like, are there obligations that way? Do you feel comfortable pitching those products? Uh, these mm-hmm. are looking into something that I found in, uh, useful in. I mean, we brought this up earlier, but when you research a an organization and are thinking about you know, signing with an organization or doing business with any organization, look at who, uh, who supports them. It'll usually be listed at the the bottom of their website. They'll usually have that, like who are our sponsors and you can see, Oh, it's like, well, here's like a G fuel contract that they have. Mm-hmm. And well, do I like G fuel? Do I like Kanba? Right. I, I, I don't know. Do you, these are questions that you need to ask. Makes um, sense. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Uh, it's it, I mean, again, most of most of what I think people should look out for is the common sense stuff up front, and then make sure that you know all of the details of the obligations uh, in the actual contract itself. Those are those are definitely the biggest takeaways from this. Mm-hmm. Um, to to continue with the contract stuff, um, I guess probably the the last most important thing to look at. So you know, talking about obligations, and then what are the payment conditions. And then termination. How does the contract end? Mm-hmm. Um, this can be huge. Some some contracts are for specific lengths of time. That's typically how it's done. Six months. I've seen three months. That's on the shortest end. I've seen on the absolute longest end, three years. Mostly it's in between. It's a year or something like that. Um, that's, I would say, pretty standard. And what are the conditions for it ending in addition to that, like length of time, right? Um, can they drop you whenever? That's very common. A lot of contracts, a lot of teams have contracts that say that they can just drop a player for whatever reason. Literally, the language is like at, at you know will. they're yeah at at will at their convenience uh, with or without reasoning. It's it you know sometimes it's very obvious, and that's bad for you because that means that you know you don't have a long term contract effectively. You could be let go at any moment. So, so if it's if you are hoping to go to Evo next month, and all of a sudden the team drops you today, well, you, that, you yeah. no longer can go to Evo. Maybe I mean that's that the fact that you don't have certainty is bad bad news. Oftentimes these contracts will have something like, well, we can let you go whenever, but we have to give you notice, and that notice can be like two weeks or it can be a month. You know, that is to say, like, they have to let you know in advance before they're going to drop you. But that's still not very long. Right. And you have to think about that as being what the real, like, length or the term of the contract is. It's re- Even though it says it's a year-long contract, it's really a month. And it's month to month. And they can at any moment let you go one month from when they let you know. So that's that's something to, you know, you, you don't want that. Uh, ideally, you want certainty. It's right. hard to get certainty, you know, to be to be frank. Mm-hmm. That's that's typically something that has to be bargained for and, you know, the more leverage you have, the more likely you are to get it. But at at a minimum, you don't want to be let go tomorrow without any notice, and ideally you'd like there to just be, you know, some greater length of time, the best that you can get, but not zero hopefully. Um, in in addition to that, can they let you go if you you know, flout what's often called a morality clause. 
Um, so a morality clause basically says that you can't do something that would fly in the face of, you know, morality or of the value of yourself to mm-hmm. the team. So if you say something that's racist, right now everybody hates you, you're not valuable to the team anymore. They're going to drop you. What contracts um, have that? A lot. Almost every contract has that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they I, better. I jest, but... Yeah, there, you, you there know, are heated gamer moments out there. You know how it is in esports. I do. Uh, I definitely do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's come up. That also is not theoretical. That's yeah, happened. No, that's true. I, I mean, that I know true. I have had clients um, on both the team and the player side where that has come up. Hmm. So that's maybe not racism specifically, but like right, doing, right, right. being a jerk in whatever way. Yeah, um, the way that you carry, like a... Gosh, how is the the verbiage usually? It's like care, carrying yourself in a manner that would be that would disparage the name. Yeah, you, right. Like so, that. like non disparagement clause is maybe yes, what you think yes, of. Yes, yes. Um, that is to say that you can't do something in public or say something in public that would you know cast major doubt on the team or that would make the team be viewed negatively in the public eye. Um, yeah, that's that is also pretty common. Right. So a, a lot a lot of these things with respect to like morality clause and non-disparagement is just you know don't be a jerk. It, it, they're they're typically pretty easily satisfied. Right. But you will want to know that. You'll want to know that either right. way. Like what what are the conditions where they can let you go? After the contract is supposed to end, is it over? This is pretty common. Hmm. Um, it's pretty common that there are auto renewal periods in player contracts. So it may say that it's for one year, but not infrequently, they'll also say, and the team can exercise an option to automatically renew the agreement for an additional year. Hmm. That's up to them. Um, Typically, they will also give the player an out, but you have to let them know like pretty far in advance oftentimes that you don't want to be picked up again. Like if it's a year long, Typically, you got to let the team know one month in advance, sometimes two months in advance, that, that you do not want to be uh, renewed again. Right. So that's something you got to you got to look into. I mean, that's something you have to know right from the get go. And if yes. you think that things are not going well, then you got to let them know in advance. Um, it, it, another thing to look for after the contract is supposed to be over is do they have the right to of what's called first refusal. So say some other team comes to you after your contract's over. This other team would like to give you a great deal. They have better money. They have better obligations, right? Other stuff that you really prefer. Well, in the right of a first refusal kind of case, um, the original team can say, actually, we're going to keep you, but we'll meet the important terms of the new contract. So we'll match your new salary. You know, we'll match the new obligations. And then they'll be able to keep you. Um, that's, again, not uncommon. So if you don't like the team, you have to let them know, again, far in advance um, that you don't want to come back. Now, you could just decide to not sign the, any agreement. You could just be like, I don't want to do esports anymore. You could definitely do that. But uh, so that it's not like you're some indentured servant forever. Right. But you cannot sign an agreement with that new team right away if the original team wants to match the terms. And you got to know what terms they have to match. Is it just salary? Like, say, say it's the new team is like, oh, yeah, new salary. We'll send you to every single tournament. We will help your social media. We'll help your stream. All this great stuff. What part of that counts as the things that the original team has to match? Hmm. Salary, almost certainly. 
Right. But what if it's not however many tournament tournaments you're going to get sent to? What if it doesn't count? What if hmm. what if the the stream help doesn't count? These are things that you want to know in advance also. So like like what I've been saying, you just have to know as many details as you can about what the obligations are, what the relationship is between you and the other side. And, you know, a, t- a team that has a an auto renewal or right of first refusal does not mean that they're shady. In fact, that in my experience, teams that have thought about that legal side of things are probably not the shady ones. They're more right. typically like people who have done their homework. <laughs> they kind of know what business is. But if, if, uh, that kind of stuff might exist and they don't want to clarify and they specifically, you know, would rather it be kind of nebulous and unclear, then like I've been saying, that's when I become more concerned. Right. It was something out of my own curiosity. What's your experience with contracts that have language about injury? Uh, I think that's pretty common, especially per- now. Personal injury. Let's say that I'm a player, uh, my wrist blows up mm-hmm. or something happens. What are the legal ob- obligations there? It's pretty rare that there's going to be you know, some substantial legal obligation on the part of the team. Hmm. Um, almost, almost always, at least in fighting games, almost always players are independent contractors right. in the U.S. and not employees. And they're very, very rarely given any kind of health insurance. That's definitely more common among teams that have the players listed as employees. Mm-hmm. But the, the teams that have players listed as employees are are usually in other esports. Like the League of Legends and Overwatches right. have to ha- have to have the players as employees. That's mandated by their uh, their league structures. But nothing like that exists in fighting games. No. And and the t- and the time obligations, to be frank, are way more onerous mm-hmm. on League and Overwatch and other teams that have to, you know, arrange times to practice in these team esports. Many times they're living in a certain house. You know, they have it's right. they have a coach. It's just a very different situation than in a fighting game, which is a lot more, you know, whenever kind of thing. Whenever you want to be playing, it's, it's fine. Um, so no, I, I think it's it's really rare that there is something that says that you would be covered if you have an injury. Much more common is that it specifically says that you understand when you are becoming a player with us that there is some possibility of injury, that maybe you get injured playing, maybe you get injured traveling, maybe you get injured at a venue, whatever. Um, And if that happens, you can't sue us. Right. We don't have any liability as the team. I think that's a lot more common. That's fair. Just just a little curious because I know that that that, that would – Again, probably be more on the the Overwatch, the PC gaming side of things because yeah. using a mouse is murder on your on your hands. Humans aren't meant for mouses. It's, yeah, it's kind of weird how that how that's worked out. I have a um, vertical mouse that I highly recommend. Oh, really? What's yeah, the, vertical what's mouse the structure of that actually. It's out of just, it just puts your hand rather than your hand being kind of flat with your palm like kind of face flat down. Oh, it just yeah. has it kind of move your wrist to 90 degrees to the outside. Um, and that's just kind of where your hand rests, like, anyway. Like, it's just yeah. it's just a comfortable spot. You're so like holding a, uh, are you in, like, hold a glass mode? Yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of holding a glass, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that paints a, a mental picture for me. Yeah. Uh, as someone who is currently holding a glass. Uh, there you go. That, yeah, that's a lot more, that feels better. Mm-hmm. That's what I got. 
this is kind of an aside, but ergonomically, I feel like fighting games are a lot different than other esports. It, you see a lot because like there's a lot more players who have longevity in this, where mm-hmm. like the hitting buttons doesn't necessarily do a lot of physical harm to your hands. Um, probably more so on the on the joystick hand, but people yeah. are playing hitboxes now, so who gives a fuck? Yeah. No, I mean, I I agree. I think that it's definitely better ergonomically. But I would say that, I mean, in my own opinion, the reason for the longevity of players in the FGC is that it, we've just been around a lot. Like, a, like Sako is 40 or whatever, right. and he's the about the absolute maximum oldest you can be and have grown up playing fighting games. It doesn't like he doesn't get any older than that. Like before, right, yeah. Sako just well, weren't fighting games. Like fighting games didn't exist before. They just didn't exist. They didn't like, exist. Grown up with. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah, exactly. So he's kept playing. Most people have not, right? But he right. and a couple other people, Gamer B, is like the same age. Um, but that does. There's nothing like that if you're like a no. MOBA player. MOBAs were invented ten years ago, maybe twelve. Right. You if you have grew up playing a MOBA, yeah. you just cannot have been Sako's age yet. So, I mean, I, I really think it's more to do with the fact that fighting games are basically on the forefront of, of uh, competitive gaming. Hmm. See, I would almost make it... I mean, that's that's probably definitely part of it, but I think that there's also an argument... I mean, this is aside from legal conversation. This is a total yeah. aside. I digress. Uh, but... I think there's a better argument to be made of the, the way that the decisions that are being made are much different and at a different pace than like MOBAs or any kind of like even like a first person shooter. Like the skills that are required of you are actually physically much less, but mentally like it, it's mostly a mental game at, at a certain point of of like the physicality of your own skill. Uh, but maybe that's just my biased opinion because I don't know much about I don't know the meta of League or Overwatch or anything like that but. I used to play real time strategy games really seriously Brood War and Warcraft 3 and stuff mm-hmm. and I've always felt that they're pretty similar in terms of execution requirements with fighting games really? Uh, yeah man um, if, so you know in those games you record actions per minute or right. APM and the best players are getting a few hundred or so um, but they they count for everything. You know, every click of your mouse and every push of a button is something that's included. Right. Um, and if you were to consider how many actions per minute by that metric a Marvel player has to do, um, I think it's it's like the same. I mean, you 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 if you're in a hitbox versus a stick, it's going to be easier to, to find. Right. Each each push of a button that's directional or an attack, you're you're absolutely constantly doing it. You're never not doing it in a game like that, mm, uh, whether you're moving or playing defense or playing offense or whatever it is. So, I mean, personally, I think that it's all pretty similar. But StarCraft wasn't invented until the late 90s. Hmm. That's when and RTS games really blew up at around the turn of the millennium. That's almost 10 years after Street Fighter came out, Street Fighter 2 came out. So I just there's just not going to have been a Sako who grew up right. playing, uh, playing RTS um, and be the same age that Sako is now. I mean, maybe there will be. I think that's I expect that kind of thing to happen. But yeah, I, w- just, I want to see what the market looks like in, in ten years. Like, yeah, what, who are our old league players? Yeah, I mean, I, I fully expect some players to be in their sixties and seventies and playing, just in the same way that professional musicians reach that age and surgeons reach that age. And I don't really know why 
like fighting games and MOBAs can't be like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the argument to that, and I don't necessarily follow Dota that much, but wasn't the team that won the international built of like older players? Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I I feel like there was a, there was a story that was like this team. They were like they were a ragtag bunch. They were like the leftovers, and they came in. And, oh yeah. I, I don't know, know if it was the international. I don't know. It was like it was some. Hey, if if you're a listener to this show and you know what what the fuck I'm talking about, let me know about it because it's it sounded like a very uh, uh, a story that I could relate to. Uh, (laughs) you know i guess it's like a team that no one expected to do well uh because it was older players and like people who had filled in and they did well maybe there's an argument to be made for for people who are into mobas and such where maybe there is longevity in your career but yeah uh maybe they need to they just need to make a mouse that that fits for you (laughs) for the long term on honesty anyway big digression but something about contracts, a word that you said about contracts that I think uh, is important to bring up uh, and is something that is available to anybody is you can talk, you can talk to them, but you can change it. You can, uh, you can negotiate your contract. Oh yeah. 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 Do, do not view contract offers as being, like just getting the text that comes up when you open a new video game, right? You have to, mm-hmm. you have to press accept on an end user license agreement. And I read all those TOS. I mean, I never read those things. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's not like that. You, you definitely can push back now, how well you can push back, you know, of course is closely tied to how much leverage you practically have. If you mm-hmm. are an Evo winner and you have a big social media following, and you stream a lot, and you know, those are factors that are going to get you a lot of uh, ability to negotiate right. and sort of get the deal that you want. Uh, if you are, if you don't have that stuff, yeah, maybe you could still have some leverage. But as you sort of go down, oh, I've made a top eight last year. You know, that that degree is going to get you less and less and less leverage. Uh, but still, almost always there's a little bit, and and it's almost never been the case. I think I can think of only two or three examples uh, counter to this where I've asked for a player to get some kind of change to their agreement and where the team just denies it. Um, I mean, you know, what I'm asking for is tempered by how much leverage I think that I have on behalf of the player. So I'm not asking for somebody who has never won a tournament to get what somebody who was won Evo would get, right? right? So I'm not, I'm not kind of shooting for the moon, but in terms of asking for reasonable things, yeah, typically teams are pretty cool about that stuff. Uh, and to the extent that they push back, it's often on, on things where like, I understand why they would push back. It's it's at least in the last, you know, several years, it's really become like this, where, where the people who tend to be involved, they're like usually just trying to run a team reasonably and typically are not trying to, you know, fleece people or, or kind of steal money or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's, it's become less common. So yeah, I feel like the the paths that have been laid out are at least more obvious. uh, Where I mean, fuck, man, like it's been going on forever. Where there have been, I mean, how many stories have there been of like this esports organization that lasted for two years and then is gone? 
Mm-hmm. Like that shit just happened. Uh, we're seeing less and less of that as, as yeah. time progresses. And I think that the way that teams are run, and I think from a legal sense, uh, as, as you've stated, that the contracts have actually gotten a lot better, which is, I think that's great news. Uh, for sure. For both the players and for the organizations that are out there. Um, and, and just for like the community in general. I, I, I don't know. Um, but anyway... So I guess I would say one last thing to look out for when it comes to a contract that does kind of make me suspicious is make sure that it applies to your particular situation in terms of your game. Um, I, it's it's hmm. pretty common still yeah. to find yeah. a contract that's built for some team esport that is given to a fighting game player, which is definitely not a team esport. Um, right. And those that's going to come with different stuff. So these contracts will often say things like, you have to be present for practice. You have to be available at least X or whatever amount per week so that we can get practice and you have to listen to the coach the management decisions are up to the team they can bench you these things don't mean anything in the context of a single player video game um i mean david we paid our lawyer once for the template why would we want to pay him again for the fighting game so that (laughs) that is exactly what's going on and so the reason that that makes me suspicious is if they if they don't have the money and time right to make sure that they are keeping things appropriate to your particular situation then i'm not convinced that they have the money and time to properly run a team and do all the things that they need to do to make the team successful and to make the player successful to send the player around to pay the player whatever salary if there is one to um, understand if, the, the community that yeah to understand the, the scene right yeah um the whole so I, i've typically found that when i bring this up to teams that that give a uh, you know a sort of team contract to a single game player mm-hmm. uh, that they're usually pretty cool about it and they say oh you know our bad we didn't realize or you're right you know something like that that's usually been my experience when it comes to that. I've only a few situations uh, where the teams have just said yeah it's fine you know mm-hmm. sign it anyway and in those cases I you know I'm not I'm not enthused about my my player signing for those right 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 right. Just so, just as as with as with all the rest of it, just make sure that the contract fits to your situation. Make sure that you get the details. Yeah. Make sure that there's nothing that seems like it's too unclear or nebulous, and you know, have a lawyer check it out. I feel like that's a good sniff test. And honestly, if you're at uh, if you're at the level where you are approaching larger companies, it is entirely worthwhile to approach a lawyer about it as well. Have someone on your side who can like speak to that language and understand it if you don't um yeah but all right anyway i think that um man we have talked we talked about law for pretty long actually uh took up a big chunk of the show uh which is fine i mean i think that that's good information to get out there i'm glad we did uh, but I do want to talk about another thing that uh, is in your wheelhouse, uh, commentary. And I want to bring it up because I feel like it is worthwhile to bring up top tier GG uh, and what they've done as a as a website mm-hmm. recently. Because if you're not so listener, if you're not familiar, we talked about them before on this show. Uh, but they run so top tier GG. Runs articles, yes, but mainly it is a like like a local like weekly tracker. They've got if you've got tournament information 
you can send it to the people at Top Tier GG, and it will be on the list among other uh, other tournaments as well. Uh, but they reach out to the community and they do stuff like this. But you have recently written an article about commentary, uh, specifically commentary across multiple games. Uh, so if you want to maybe speak to that for just a moment, maybe not like summarize the article, but like what were sure. what was your experience in that? So I, I know the guys who started top tier. I've known them for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of players in SoCal. Um, who I guess aren't so much players anymore, kind of moved on from that aspect of FGC, but Happy. are definitely still around. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, for sure. So they're, they're definitely still around. They're trying to find some other way to help the community is essentially what it is. And, um, you know, they asked me to write an article for them a while back. Uh, I was super late on delivering that. <laughs> but uh, it's finally did in, get in it In pure out FGC fashion, you were late. Yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I did get it out to them. I mean, you know, I... I for a couple of reasons. One is that I think it was an interesting article to think about and to write. And, uh, you know, I really am interested in helping people learn how to commentate. And then the other one is to just get them to check out top tier. Cause I, I really think that they do good stuff in terms of highlighting events. Mm-hmm. And if you're somebody who, you know, as you said, has an event, then there's, there's a great resource there where you can kind of submit your event and get people to know about it. Mm-hmm. But if you're somebody who is trying to find an event, it's uh, super useful as well. Yeah, they're a great platform for that on both ends. Uh, something that you said in the article that I'm in 100% agreement with is when you are specifically learning a game or maybe you don't know about a game that you are in front of a microphone having to talk about is that, and I've given this advice before, ask questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you're not going to know everything. If, if you are commentating multiple games, uh, it's just... It's just it's too unrealistic hard. to expect you to know all the stuff that you could if you were just concentrating on a single game's you know gameplay frame data scene and players all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. so um if you are in a game where you don't feel quite as confident then yeah don't be afraid to ask your co-commentator questions or to ask the chat questions mm-hmm. if it's kind of a smaller stream you may ask the chat if it's a bigger stream maybe you ask for people to get to you on twitter something like that um but yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions or or just to throw it out there into the void and not even specifically directed to somebody. It's okay to admit that you don't know everything. In fact, that's definitely better than to you know fake like you know everything and come out and say something wrong. Yeah, you come to, out to, as a to fraud. To say something wrong is the worst. I mean, that's nobody wants to do that. That that is embarrassing for you as the commentator. And it you know if you do it too often, it's gonna make people think less of your of your knowledge. It happens to all of us all the time anyway. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, none of us gets everything right. Uh, but if it's something that is happening too often, then people will know and they'll notice. Yeah, if you're going to swing for the fences, like, you should be sure of your of your target. Because mm-hmm. pretending that you know is people, they can sniff that out. And the internet doesn't forget. Trust me, I'm on Reddit. Yeah. That shit sticks around forever. For sure. Uh, but... But asking questions that that can also create a dynamic between a, a co-commentator that you might not have uh, experience commentating with. Uh, that's just another possibility or another route that you could take when when being thrust in front of a microphone to talk about a game that you might not be fully aware of. Um, For sure, and this isn't something that I specifically address in the article. But another aspect of 
commentating multiple games is that you're going to be commentating with many different people. Mm-hmm. It's not the same person because you're going in and out of different scenes, essentially. And that means that you have to learn how to commentate with different people. And it means you have to learn how to commentate uh, with different styles, with people who maybe prefer to do the informational role, or maybe prefer to do the excitement, or maybe they just want to do both. And, you know, that's learning how to do that is uh, its own skill. Mm-hmm. And is is probably almost as important as the advice that I put into this article about the game itself uh, and knowing the scene um, is is knowing how to commentate with people who are different and have different styles. So, you know, the reason I bring this up is that you in mentioning this question thing, it's you're right that it's something that can help build uh, a relationship with the other commentator. And that's especially true if you know that the other person does know the game really well. You find yourself somebody who is an expert in whatever the game is, and you don't consider yourself an expert, then it's an easy way to, you know, kind of create the role of this person's the expert. I'm here for other things, and I know some stuff, and yada yada. But for the information, turn to this person, and that's that's not going to make you look like you are a worse commentator. It's just going to make the dynamic more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right. more often than not, there's probably someone watching that that stream that has the same question as you. Sure. Who can't ask it in the Twitch chat because Twitch chat, uh, it's just moving too fast or whatever, or oh, yeah. they can't for any number of reasons. But it's these little things that you can you can do to make it a more enjoyable experience for everybody, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and also make up for the knowledge that you know that you lack. Uh, but that was just one aspect of the article, and it, it's a good, it's a good little thing, and I'll I'll link it in the show notes for for people out there. Um, before we end the show, though, we're we're getting down to it, and what I want to bring up is just kind of lightly. I, I don't know if we want to or have the time to really dig into this topic, but Evo numbers have been finalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, the information is out there. Uh, I, hey, 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 David. Evo, Evo's a big tournament. Pretty big. It's pretty, it's pretty big, huh? Uh, but I heard that there might be some dead games. Are there? Oh yeah. Are there? I don't think so. I don't fucking think so. Dude, no, look at these numbers. It's ridiculous. Holy shit, to, dude. I mean, to be fair, I mean, so you're on Reddit more. I haven't seen many people actually say that something is a dead game. I've seen it in a chat in like a couple of situations and I'm not sure that they're being serious. Mm-hmm. So I like don't want to give too much shrift to this thing about it being dead game because I'm not sure that that is actually out there as like a main opinion. And if it's just all us being like, oh, make sure you don't think it's dead games, then I, why bother? To that end, I'll say I have seen it on the Reddit.com because I listen, man. I've seen all the crime and villainy that there is. It's, it's it's in there. I'm looking at you, the website that I. We're not gonna talk yeah. about that anyway. Uh, but these numbers, though, it it is to me when I see these numbers, uh, and I'll link this in the show notes, and you've probably seen them already, mm-hmm. listener. But damn, dude. There's so much to be happy about. Yeah. It is. Think about this. Almost, I mean, like three, almost three thousand five hundred people signed up for a fight for to compete in one fighting game this mm-hmm. year. 
Smash Ultimate bringing in the fucking Buku, but uh, dude, that's, yeah, how are like I'm trying to think of like the logistics of running that tournament. Right? right, right. Like, how early do you start? How many setups do you have? Like this, like that number is is more like less of something to be excited about, but more of like this is a fucking problem. Actually, how do we, <laughs> how do we move this number of people uh, through to get to a top eight on Sunday? Is like that's just a logistics nightmare, but I bet, I bet, yeah. But they did do the five thousand plus person Street Fighter Five tournament, and they oh, made it through. Yeah, that's that. true. That's true. I mean, it, look, not everybody who signs up is actually going to be playing, and I don't know what percentage of the five thousand actually ended up being there. See, I've heard like not actually that high. Oh yeah, um, that's actually something that has. Been, I've seen that a lot of people saying like, oh, like Street Fighter Five had five thousand year one. And I'm like, yo, I don't know if you saw like if here's here's like my gut response to people who say that is like, were you at pools? That was like the yeah. easiest year to get through pools. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So because you had to win one match and you were through something. <laughs> I know someone who won one match and made it out of pools. Yeah. I mean, that's for sure. But they do have to plan right. for there to be 5000 plus people. They do like their plans have to. They can't say, oh, well, some percentage are not going to be there. That cannot be the plan because that right. would just invite disaster. So they definitely planned for 5,000 plus people to be there. This time they have to plan for 3,500 people to be there. Will they all be there? I mean, maybe most, you know, and, and it, I'm sure it was most for SFI, but it's, was it 75% or 51%? I don't know which most, right? And in this, in this one, it's probably going to be like towards the upper percentage. Probably. But still, they they have some experience in, in doing giant tournaments. So I think that it'll... I think it'll go fine. Each, each year they learn more anyway, and they have a giant space to do it in. What was your What was your gut response after looking at these numbers? My first response was um, I was surprised that Sam Show got yeah, over and yeah, yeah, I am right sense. with you on that. Everything else made total sense. We all thought Smash would be number one. It was going to be either SF Five or Tekken at number two. I didn't really know which. I would have you know been not surprised by either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think that I figured that, you know, BB tag would be last. I figured caliber would probably be second to last. Like most of this, I think is pretty believable expected. Um, yeah. I'm a little more surprised about Sam show beating mortal. Yeah. Most of this follows trends of what we've seen from yeah. prior tournaments, uh, like on a month to month basis, uh, even fucking on a week to week basis based on ranking events, uh, or, or even from yearly events. Uh, but yo, Sam show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Yo, yeah. that's so many. And like, honestly, that makes me happy. Cause I, I have been enjoying that game thoroughly. I think it's a fun game to play. Uh, it's just, it's one of those things where like, I almost remember people seeing, yo, you're going to have Sam show at Evo before it's even, before it's even out. Like yeah. what the fuck's that about? And it's like, well, I mean, people showed up, so obviously. Yeah. I mean, that happens every year. That happens sure. every single year. There's some game that's there that's announced before it comes out. It was BB Tag last year. Mm-hmm. When BB Tag was announced for Evo, I thought that was dumb. But then the game came out, and I loved it. And it was <laughs> maybe my favorite new game of 2018. Uh, it, I loved it. So it ended up being great. But it happens every year. Mm-hmm. Nobody made any bones about MK11 being announced, right? It was like right. we all knew it would be a big – like that's that's fine. That happens every single year. 
Um, so for Sam's show this year, I didn't have any qualms about that, that it was announced before it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah. it, these I mean, things yeah. are not surprising. It's just like, it's just things ended up pretty positive this year. There's really sure. nothing to be disappointed about with all of these entry numbers and like oh, the man, continued so cool. growth of like the community writ large has been, I don't know, it feels good. Like there's a lot to be like negative and, and sour about, I suppose. Like if you want to latch onto those things, go ahead, die in a ditch, whatever. But man, these numbers, like there's so much to be had. There's so many good games. Look at all these good games. There are. Yeah, those are all cool. Those are all cool. And I think it's awesome that the lowest game has 640 people, which uh, I saw a great tweet earlier. Now yeah. I wish I had done I, it, but it was hmm. comparing entrance from... Uh, of these last two ranked games, BB Tag has 640, Soul Calibur has 742. Uh, in previous years, those would have been the third and fourth most entered game, and that's not like ancient history. That's it was like five or six years ago they would have yeah. been third and fourth, uh, and even the year before Street Fighter Five came out, they still would have been like third and fourth. So th- that's that is awesome. Uh, last year, Injustice Two had like 300 something, right? So as a as a last place entrance game mm-hmm. this is great it's it's the best in fact that yeah. the, it's the most <laughs> entries that the least entered game has had yeah like i don't know how you could look at those numbers and, and parse that any other way of like not just being happy that uh that there are a ton of really good games out there that are super healthy in terms of people showing up uh yeah and and also, there was a chart uh, put out by Weed on Twitter. I've talked about him before. That's W-Y-D-D. Mm-hmm. Uh, that shows like a, a mesh of where all of these players have come from. Uh, and it kind of shows like with big arrows pointing back and forth between the games that they've all come from. And it's it's really interesting to see where like the lines are drawn. Like the, the arrows between Sam Show and Street Fighter are like, equal in size like going back and forth both ways it's almost like one-to-one um and seeing how many like little parts of each communities go to play smash uh right right it's just a it's an interesting little like chart to look at to think about how and i think this is something that the community at large need at least if you haven't already need to start thinking about of how does my community interact with other communities and how can we leverage that to benefit everybody? Uh, because it's there. People don't just show up to play one game. That's fucking obvious. Like it's right. It's there in numbers. Uh, so leverage that, and I think that people can can take advantage of that. But yeah, man. Anyway, any other thoughts before we move on? No. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. But I cannot let you go without asking you the question that I ask everyone who has been on this show uh, over time. The first time you're on the show, you've got to answer these two questions. Can't let you go without it. And I believe that how you answer these questions tells a lot about your your personal, about who you are. Uh, it reveals your, your deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, and it goes as such. What is your favorite normal attack in any fighting game and mm-hmm. why? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it's the Dolphinator in Street Fighter Three Third Strike. Okay, uh, Hugo's Crouching Fierce. The uh, explain, explain why. First of all, the name is great. Uh, <laughs> Fair. That's the official name. That's totally in the guidebooks. Uh, it's not. 
Um, I was going to say, like, I don't think it is, my guy. uh, That's not it. uh, I've seen that in a game facts, but I haven't seen that in a... Uh, anyway, the name is excellent. Um, it's because it uh, it is such a precise button. There's only a couple of situations in the entire game where you ever see it. It's almost always accidental. Yeah, uh, I was thinking you know, to myself, even, that's you know, like a mistake like never, if I see it almost. Yeah, almost always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's just a couple of characters where it's at all useful. Like one of them is Necro, who beats... Hugo by playing Dalsum. It's like the one Dalsum matchup in the game where mm-hmm. he gets to actually play a range game. And yet his jump-ins can lose to Dolphinator. The Dolphinator sucks, but in this one matchup, well, really a couple of situations, but mostly this one matchup, yeah, you can do Dolphinator. And uh, it looks cool. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's great. I, like, I love its animation. No, that's a great answer. Uh, like a very specific utility. Like you've got this one tool in your in your your tool closet right in your in your toolbox where you, you this is the one time i use it mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what it is for that's a good answer yeah. uh and you're right though it does look hilarious the way that he just kind of like his shape just changes into it's very torpedo like in nature yeah uh, it's great i would uh, call it dolphin like sure sure <laughs> i suppose <laughs> earning its namesake Mm-hmm. All right, so part two of this question, uh, off of part one, what is your favorite combo in any fighting game? Um, my reaction to that is that I don't like combos. Um, I don't, I don't, I've never played a character or a game because of a combo. In fact, it's more often been the case that I think a character looks cool, but its combos are hard, so I don't want to do it, and I pick somebody else. Um, okay. I just, it's just not a part of the of fighting games that means much to me. Sure. But I do, the only, the only combo situations that I like that I can think of are in Marvel 3's uh, TAC Infinites mm-hmm. because some of them begin to sound very rhythmic and like they're kind of playing a song. Yeah. And I think, that's, I think that sounds that. cool. Yeah. It just sounds cool. I've, the characters I played in that game didn't, that didn't matter. Right. Um, I was playing uh, Hulk Hagar Thor. Yeah, you played Team Big Body. Just didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So I never even learned them. But when I got hit by them, or if I watched, you know, the game and watched them stream, and they had a cool sound, then at least, at least that was cool. Um, or like a Chun, the Chun Li Infinite in the Air. I think mm. that's pretty cool. Like just because it has a cool sound. So the the rhythmic quality, the sound of it, I think can be nice. You're not the but first the person game, to answer that care. question like that. Because I feel like fighting games in particular, uh, specifically with long combos like that, that have repeated sequences, like the cadence of those sequences can be like imprinted into your brain, right? Totally. And it just it's stuck there forever, right? Uh, like, I mean, when I say the Iron Man Infinite, you know exactly what, like, the sound. It, the sound is there. It's in your heart. You know, yeah, yep. uh, but no, that is in- it's an interesting way to answer the question, though, that combos aren't really because there's a part of that that I I would agree with. Uh, there's something to maybe not with specifically like not combos, but like where a character does not rely on combos or if you do yeah. get a combo, it's like a, a two hit combo. That's like, yeah. damn, you see that two hits. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Uh, like the, the characters that I tend to play 
tend not to rely on combos very heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to play grapplers and zoners, and they just like tend not to have big combos. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not accidental. Like I, when SF4 came out, and people started doing able combos, step kick into stuff that was very tight link. I just quit playing that character forever, even though he had a command grab, and I was right. like, oh, this character's kind of cool. But then that happened, and I just was not interested. Um, so yeah, it's just not that's not what I play the games for. I. I've come to learn about myself that I don't actually want a game that has no combos necessarily. Uh, although I don't want a game that I don't want a character that relies on execution. Right. But I kind of like the idea that oh, I, there's still some element where I could drop it, or where a game may have a character that's not my character that does have big execution requirements because some mm-hmm. people really do like it. And although that's not for me, like I like that that exists for and how they can be balanced between a game where the, it yeah. can have both types of characters, where oh. you could be keeping someone away with errant hits for an entire match, or get in one time and kill them with one combo, mm-hmm. and and having that dynamic within one fighting game can be interesting. Cool. It, it can tell a good story. I um, agree, but uh, all right. So, uh, David, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it has been a pleasure uh, to have you on talking about the the legal end of things, uh, yeah. but something that is not again. Want to reiterate, this is not legal advice. Correct. Do not reference this podcast, and if you are taken to court, I will not show up. Uh, yeah, uh, same. I'm I'm not anybody's attorney unless I've signed a representation agreement with them. Not going to be there. Uh, you can't reference us in any documentation. Uh, please do not do so. Uh, but that is a show before we end it, let people know where they can find you on the internet. One more sure. Time. Yeah. One although, more. although I'm not your lawyer from just this, uh, program, you can definitely check out my legal website and I may become your lawyer. You can be their lawyer. That's the that thing. Is, it's, it's doable. Uh, check it out at DPG, dpgatlaw.com. Uh, I also do streams of various fighting games. I guess nowadays it's basically only MK11 and SF5, but, uh, you know, we'll, oh, no, Sam Show, that's true. Uh, that's that. Who are you playing in Sam Show? Who's your, who's your go-to? Um, I mean, it's I don't really like the game that much, but oh, I have been dang. playing with friends uh, a lot. And I've been playing Tam Tam. Tam Tam and sense. Alfred. Yeah, I think he fits, like, again, as somebody who wants to do zoning and grappling, I think he makes sense. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, yeah, so twitch.tv slash TV and youtube.com slash TV. All right. Uh, and you can find me at Super Joe Monday or at RedisSF on twitter.com or just head on over to R Street Fighter and I'll find you. I'm there. That, that's how you hit it up. Uh, but that's the show, folks. Uh, thank you for joining us on another episode of RSF Radio. We're here every Thursday. Uh, don't forget about the tournaments, which are Mondays and Fridays, which we've had great attendance. If you want to talk about <laughs> dead games, man, we've had so much attendance. It's been so good the last uh, couple months or so. People are excited to play fighting games. Uh, but other than that, that's a show. We'll see you again on another edition of RSF Radio. But until then, take care, folks.